Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three championship wins from three. Norwich City's season is well and truly up and running after a victory at the Stadium of Light against Sunderland. But all was not as it may have seemed, uh, as we will delve into in this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. My name is Connor Southall, joined by Paddy Dowett and Sam Seaman to reflect on uh, a, a weekend that saw Norwich City beat Sunderland 1-0, courtesy of a Josh Sargent goal. Um, as I said right at the top, they found a bit of form. Maybe performances, certainly on uh, on this occasion, weren't necessarily where they need to be, but they have found a winning formula. So, Paddy, if I come to you first and foremost, I mean, we spent the first three weeks of the season essentially questioning whether this Norwich City side would be able to produce this run of form, would be able to to, to produce a run of results like this. They have. It feels like they're, they're evolving, they're moving in the right direction. And uh, as, as we've kind of said in, in the last 24 hours or so, a real quality of a good team is perhaps when they can win games, even when they, they don't necessarily play at their best, which is what Norwich City did on Saturday. Yeah, they certainly did that on Saturday, Connor. Uh, funny enough, I was... What was it now? I've seen a tweet this morning and, and it was drawing a parallel with because, of course, the post-modernist take on Farco was that every week they, they put teams to the sword, certainly that first championship season when they got into their stride. And it was lovely, aesthetically pleasing football. But I can't think now for the life of me, but they, they referenced a game or two where it was very similar in terms of backs against the wall, having to dig in, ride their luck, um, which Norwich certainly did at the Stadium of Light. Um, combination of heroic defending led by Grant Hanley and the woodwork on occasion. Although it's worth pointing out, you know, Tim Krul wasn't really required to make too many top, top draw saves. So, you know, maybe, maybe maybe it was just the incessant pressure that conveyed this impression that Norwich were clinging on by their fingertips. But I think it, given Smith made a triple change, just, just approaching the hour mark, that, that did indicate that he felt something quite drastically needed to, to alter in terms of the balance of that game and, and fair play to him, fair play to the players who he, he, he put on. They, they, from there on, I felt exerted that control, maybe allied to Sunderland running out a little bit of steam because they put, put, put huge amounts of effort and energy and endeavour into that first hour. And of course, one moment of quality, both in terms of the, ex, uh, the, the creation and the execution was enough to, to get the three points. And, you know, you only, you only take your measure from, the full-time whistle, I think, and the celebration, the, the type of celebrations, those Norwich players, the amount who were hugging each other and you know, fist-pumping and saluting the away supporters as they did. They, and of course, you spoke to Andrew Mabamba Daly, key f- figure in that defensive effort after the game. And he, he, I think he said it best, these are the type, those are the type of games in adversity where a team grows and, and forges that collective spirit and unity. And, and you could see that visually, I thought, at the final whistle. And in the bigger picture... Cliche though it is, but if you, you can go to a team who hadn't lost at home since February, uh, who'd picked up eight points from their first five, only lost one league game, and you can go 
and no play nowhere near your best with and without the ball, and yet come back on the road with a clean sheet and, and three points, that bodes well for the future. And, um, you know, I think when the dust settles, while they're not happy probably with the performance level, Dean Smith certainly wasn't happy with the performance level or elements of it. I think they'll they'll derive a huge amount from that moving forward because we've seen it twice under Farker at this level. You can't play at your best every week or every Saturday, Tuesday. You need to d- dig in and when you're not at your best, still grind out results. And, and boy, did they do that on Saturday. So a little bit concerning in terms of that first hour, but I think overall, hugely encouraging for, for what comes ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree. Um, a, a very interesting way. It's interesting what you said about pressure because I, I, I would agree. It doesn't feel, I mean, Tim Krull made one excellent save from Ross Stewart in the second half, um, pushing a, a shot onto the bar. There were a couple of last-ditch blocks, but maybe it was the last-ditch nature of some of their defending, which made it feel a little bit like a, a smash and grab rather than perhaps it was. I actually felt in the last 20 minutes or so, Norwich were were relatively comfortable. Um, certainly after they scored the goal, they managed the game probably a lot better, certainly than they did on, on Tuesday night in the Cup. Um, Sam, I mean, to, to kind of reflect on that, I think there's been kind of a lot of conversation over the summer about whether this group would be hungry enough, would be willing enough to put their bodies on the line in championship games because they've been here before, because they've won championship titles before. I think you only needed to watch Grant Hanley scramble back on the line to get in the way of Alex Pritchard's folly um, as as evidence that this is a group willing to fight and roll their sleeves up when need be and willing to, to engage in the arm wrestles that the championship does serve up from time to time. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of an easy argument when things aren't going well as they as they weren't towards the back end of last, well, for the whole of last season, really. It's an easy argument to make that the players don't care or they're not putting effort in or they're not willing to to put themselves on the line. Um, I think Dean Smith actually spoke about it at a, a sort of event he did with with fans where he was challenged on that. And he said he's basically never worked with a, a footballer that wasn't dedicated to trying and, and dedicated to doing what he could to, to win for the football club. And I think that's, that's definitely the case with Norwich. The reality is that Previously, they've just not been good enough um, and they've not maybe been physical enough, but it's not for for a want of, of trying. And I think we saw that, obviously, as you referenced yesterday, Grant Hanley um, putting himself in a, a good deal of pain a couple of times during the game um, yesterday and they were capable of, of getting through it. I think it's it, it would be um, incorrect to maybe diagnose it as a, a physical performance and one where they dominated Sunderland and got through a lack of technical quality by... by using their strength because I still feel like physically, especially in the midfield where that tends to matter, they were sort of outdone and they weren't up to scratch, but they did what they could um, in the box. And I think when you look at that that defence, Grant Hanley and Andrew Obamadele, there's certainly not going to be any physical problems um, with that duo at, at championship level. And I thought they stood up to the, the battle pretty well. So yeah, obviously it's important in the championship as Paddy referenced to be able to grind, the, grind out those results when maybe technically you're, you're struggling. Um, they really struggled against Sunderland's press and, you know, that, that was a team that was absolutely willing to fight. But in the end, um, their quality told one one big moment towards the end of the game and you just needed they just needed to, to ride out that, that period um, and they were there really. So, yeah, I thought it, it showed some really pleasing elements and certainly some things that throughout the course of the season they're going to have to reproduce, probably not. Um, on a regular basis, um, you know, Dean Smith won't want to to have to reproduce that on a regular basis. But 
Um, you know, there's certainly going to be times when they're not at their best and they're going to need those those blocks on the goal line and they're going to need players throwing themselves in front of the ball. And you're, you're certainly going to get that from players like Grant Hanley, Andrew on Bamadele, Tim Krull, Kenny McLean. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to be a, a very valuable attribute for them going forwards. Absolutely. And and actually, I was, I was kind of looking into their last title winning campaign and for all perhaps the memories of that 7-0 win against Huddersfield Town, the the, the free-flowing, excellent brand of football. I think they won 17 games by a single goal, Paddy. So, so it goes to show these are actually the type of victories that you do kind of build promotions and, and title wins on because they're the ones that, as Andrew Omobamadeli said after the game, they're ones that perhaps everyone looks back at go and, and looks at and says, oh, well, actually, maybe we could have dropped points there and we could have walked away with one point instead of three. And, and Norwich City did that yesterday. It felt like the type of win that a team hoping to be at the top end of the, the table, manages to get themselves through. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, that's that's a great stat. If, if it was 17, I, I must confess, I didn't know it was quite as high as that. But if, if it was 17 one-goal victories, then, you know, that was pretty much a fundamental pillar of that second title win under Farkas stewardship. And I think certainly in this early phase as well, you're probably going to get days and we've seen it already you know in the first six games days when Norwich aren't really firing on all cylinders um and and there will be areas of, of a performance even a performance that results in a win and a clean sheet as it did on Saturday where you think well that isn't good enough and, and they need to address that moving forward but you know wrote about it in my point is yesterday what what a what a foundation they've got now you know is it 10 points from the opening six games I think off the top of my head um they've climbed from as much as you want to place any store by league positions at this stage, but you know, from rock bottom to I think they're in the top four now after this weekend's fixtures, they have the platform now to for Dean Smith to, to kick on and start to work on the floors. They've they've got the base of the, of the house constructed. I think they've got a defensive unit, um, you know, subject to any sort of dramatic twist involving Max Aaron's between now and Thursday's transfer deadline. You know. I like the look of Byram if he stays fit on that left-hand side, irrespective of Yanulis and McCallum becoming available again in a couple of months. So you can already see now with Omar Bamadeli and Hanley, of course, and Krull behind them, that, that that defensive platform is in place. And now it's just really intriguing how this evolves, you know, in terms of the midfield positions and the forward areas. But as was, was referenced by the fact that his team news dropped an hour before kickoff on Saturday morning, no Ida, no Hugo, no Rashica. Uh, and yet they can still bring on Timu Pugi, Aaron Ramsey, Todd Cantwell, keep Gabby Zara in reserve on the bench. That's a cast list uh, both in depth and quality. I don't think any other Premier, uh, sorry, any other Championship squad can can rival. So ultimately, the onus then is on Smith. You've got the resource, you've got the talent in abundance. It would appear for this level. Now you need to maximise it, distill it, and and really injury and suspension allowing, find an eleven that week in, week out, um, are a cut above this league. And and that from this position now, they go on and prove that and find that consistency both in results, importantly, obviously, but also performance levels with and without the ball. And if they get that, you know, it's very hard to see teams in the Championship most weeks being able to live with them. But, you know, the hard work needs to continue because, you know, we, we saw in those first three Championship games, if you take your foot off it at this level, you will get found out and, and teams will maybe through effort and endeavour and, and lacking probably the technical abilities that a Norwich squad possess, but still can counteract if Norwich aren't willing to do the elements you need 
and they did so successfully at Sunderland to, to get a result. So, yeah, if you're an Orange fan now, I think you've got to be hugely positive and hugely encouraged the last three games that they've, they've now started to see real signs of a, yeah, okay, this isn't this isn't a, maybe one result here or there. This is the start of a trend, be it defensive resolution and that platform or at the top end of the pitch, what Josh Sargent is doing now. Um, and in midfield, Nunes, you know, he continues to do as well. So really exciting, I think, now to look forward and see how this Norwich team go from here and how they evolve. Yeah, that's the word I was going to. That's the word I was going to use. Evolve, evolution. That's it's kind of what it feels like Norwich City are doing at this moment in time. It doesn't quite feel like they're they're even in their sort of full form yet, so to speak. So it's it's going to be interesting to to watch how that process continues over the weeks ahead. Um, Sam, how much credit does does Dean Smith deserve for this victory? Because as we spoke about the the midfield was well, the whole shape I thought was was pretty stretched, but the midfield in particular wasn't really functioning, perhaps in the way that. That Norwich would have likely. They obviously lost Liam Gibbs early on with, with, with an ankle injury, and we'll come back to that later. Um, but Kieran Dowell, Nunez were, were struggling. I think Sunderland were, were probably winning the physical battle in there. The, the nature of, of their stretch shape meant that they were quite easy to play through as well. So Sunderland were having a fair bit of joy in possession, which other teams perhaps haven't had this season. Uh, and Dean Smith does make a triple change. He brings on Aaron Ramsey, uh, Timo Buki, Todd Campwell does move Sargent to the right. Pukki goes up front and actually it's it's um, it's um two of the substitutes, isn't it? Ramsey, Pukki, then to Nunez, then back to Ramsey, then to Sargent that combined for the goal. So how much credit does Dean Smith deserve to take for that? It was also a tactical change against Millwall that he made as well that kind of tipped the game in Norwich City's favour. So for all of maybe the criticism that there's been of Norwich City's head coach, and there's been plenty, um, not just from last season, but also at the start of this campaign, it feels like we're slowly beginning to see some progress in that direction as well. Yeah, I think he certainly deserves credit for those substitutions and not only because of the, the obvious impact it had, but I think solution-wise, it maybe wasn't the the obvious one that a lot of fans would have picked out. They had Gabriel Sara on the bench who, um, you know, by all accounts, has been brought in to provide those legs and that physicality that Norwich were clearly lacking um, in midfield. And instead, he brought on Aaron Ramsey, Tamer Pukki and Todd Cantwell, three players who... I would say, are less than associated with the physical side of the game. Um, but that still pulled things around and it still made the tactical change to the game that Smith was hoping to achieve. So, yeah, I think it was a a massive um, element in that. Um, you've also got to give him credit for the, the signing of Ramsey, really. And I know that's taking it back a, a little while, but arguably looking at the, the financial package that that's probably going to cost them, has he maybe already paid back what Norwich have invested with his contribution to that goal. Um, and, you know, he's very much Smith's player. He's very much somebody who Smith has been telling Norwich fans to wait and see as to the impact he can have and the impact that Smith has been saying he's going to have. And, you know, this early on in the season to see him have such a tangible um, impact on a, a big, big result for Norwich, really, um, with such a quality assist, I think is a, a big, a big achievement and, and something that Smith should be proud of. Um, you know, he's, as he said, taken a lot of criticism and um, we've had this discussion before where I don't think there's a single manager on the world that would have kept Norwich up in the Premier League, to be honest. Their squad just, just wasn't good enough. So it was almost a sort of clean slate for him. And he obviously took a lot of criticism at the start of the season for the way that they, they started the campaign. But yeah, we're starting to see what a, a Dean Smith side looks like now. And we're starting to see the, the sort of elements that he can add to a side. And um, yeah, I thought those substitutions despite being different to maybe what a lot of fans would have gone for, 
really made the best of a, a very difficult situation in that Liam Gibbs was obviously forced off a lot earlier than anybody would have anticipated and that left them in a, a very difficult situation with the midfield. I think, yes, they maybe looked to, to lack that physicality and that strength when Kenny McLean went in there, obviously um, flanked by Kieran Dowell and Marcelino Nunez, who aren't associated with, with physicality at all. But, you know, I think Liam Gibbs, had Liam Gibbs retained his fitness throughout the game I think that probably wouldn't have ended up being as big a problem as it was so Smith was was thrown into a situation where he really had to adapt and you know he did it early enough I think Daniel Farker his predecessor was obviously criticised quite often for making his substitutions too late in the game and failing to have a, an impact um, you know with with that, we saw a lot of a lot of players brought on, on around 80, 85 minutes. But Smith, early on, recognised the change needed to be made. 60 minutes, he, he brought on those three subs and they had the desire, desired impact. So I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for yesterday's result. And had he not shown his nous in that situation, I think it's very unlikely Norwich would have come away from the stadium in flight with three points. Yeah, I think Norwich fans have felt slightly underwhelmed by Aaron Ramsey, having, having watched him in, in the cameos that, that they've seen so far. He obviously missed a massive opportunity at Hull, which would have brought the game level. And maybe then the narrative around his contribution so far gets framed a little bit differently. He wasn't particularly great in, in the cup game in, in, in midweek, I didn't think. Um, but this was this was much improved, Pad, I felt, in terms of his all-round contribution, but also specifically for the goal that, that Sam referenced there. It's not necessarily just the ball in either. I think the touch to kind of push the ball in front of him whilst he's running at, at full pelt, essentially, is an unbelievably hard thing to do, to take that into a stride and push it into a place to then create the cross. It was a, a, an excellent couple of touches that really created a goal pretty much from nothing for Norrie City. No doubt about it. He... he... That what well, I think I put it in my ratings that that was his best I felt impact so far in a Norwich shirt and um, and we could talk about the goal but within three minutes of him coming on he picked the ball up in that left hand area committed defenders and then right weight on the pass for Josh Sargent who checked onto his left fired over but clearly those two combined later on to to, to match winning effect and I just thought, thought there was a composure when he was on the ball and um, and the quality isn't in doubt because. Ultimately, what Norwich have there is a player who's rightly regarded as one of the best for his age in the country. He scored for England's under-19s to win European Championships in the summer. He won the FA Youth Cup when he was at Villa, where he worked closely with Liam Bramley, one of Smith's you know, coaching team at Car Road now. So, again, you know, we forget maybe a very, very young player, and it will take time. It, he's probably moved away from Birmingham for the first time in his, his very young life, and there's all that off-the-field element. You know, you have to feel comfortable in your surroundings to... And also he's going into a, a different dressing room, different players to the ones he's used to. And, and that takes time to build relationships. And, you know, we we focus so much on Zara and Nunes and how they're going to adapt and the challenges they face. But it's probably to a degree the same for a very young man in, in, in Aaron Ramsey. And um, that really was a leap forward, I think, because he came on and he affected the game in a very positive manner. Uh, and the quality that he showed on the ball um, was too good for Sunderland. So... Yeah, we won't get carried away from here because, again, he is a young player and with young players come peaks and troughs in performance. I don't think suddenly there should be a clamour for him to start games. But I think he underlined for the first time in a Norwich shirt on Saturday that maybe what Smith has been talking about, that there is a very intelligent young footballer with a lot of talent who, who can really have a, a major say on Norwich at the top end of the pitch. And again, goes back to the earlier point we discussed, the embarrassment of riches that he's got now in the final third, um, I think is unrivaled in the championship. And... Uh, 
you know, it'll be good for that young man's confidence as well, because I'm sure that the Hull miss particularly would have weighed heavy on him as well. He will have known he should have slotted that and the game might have had a different outcome that afternoon. But to get, as Smith said, his first career landmark assist under his belt at senior level, you'd think that should only that should only kick him on further. And uh, it'll be interesting now going back to Birmingham, of course, midweek from Birmingham City, you know, what role Smith has earmarked for him. Because I, I didn't think Onel Hernandez particularly, um, you know, pushed his, his claims. You've got Campwell in the conversation. And now after, after that cameo, I think Ramsey is in the, in the conversation as well. And uh, the more options that Dean Smith keeps saying, the better and, and leaving good players in the stand. So be it, because what that means is those on the pitch are doing the business and, by by definition, Norwich are picking up the results they need to stay at the top end of the table. So, yeah, yeah. Of of the overall elements to that win yesterday, I think Ramsey's emergence as a real creative option was uh, was a re- real big plus. Absolutely, and I'm sure as a a player of of Aston Villa, he will be uh, relishing the the chance to go to Birmingham City on uh, on on Tuesday night and and try and make an impact there. Also, probably uh, a massive injection of confidence for him. The fact that Dean Smith, Craig Shakespeare, Liam Bramley, all the people making those team selection decisions seemingly have him ahead of Milo Rashica in the pecking order at this moment in time because obviously he was including the matchday squad and Milo Rashica was not. And we'll come back to that situation in, in probably a little bit more detail later on in the show. Um, Sam, it was it was an interesting situation that Norwich City kind of walked into at the Stadium of Light because we obviously had the the situation with Alex Neal, who, as we are recording this at midday on Sunday, is still Sunderland boss, um, but was absent for the game uh, on Saturday, uh, Saturday lunchtime. He was instead watching Stoke City against Blackburn uh, ahead of taking charge of Stoke City um, in the not-so-distant future, I would imagine. Um and this all kind of developed on on Friday where he was scheduled to have a nine o'clock press conference that got pushed back. Then reports of um, Sunderland granting permission to Stoke because of a clause in his contract, which essentially allows any club that finished higher than Sunderland last season um, to speak with him, should they wish to, about their managerial vacancy, which of course is all of the championship, given that Sunderland and some in League One actually as well, given that, that Sunderland were, um, were were in League One last season. He's obviously taken that opportunity. He will become the next manager of Stoke. Um, but that left almost, uh, well, as we walked into the stadium, like Stewart described it as, as a rudderless ship. So that, that kind of shows what, what Norwich City were walking into. But actually, that Sunderland performance was spirited. It, it, it did seem to galvanise not just those on the pitch, but also those off the pitch. There was quite a bit of togetherness, I felt, within that football club. It was a, a siege mentality, to use that cliche. And and for the first 10 minutes, probably maybe even, four, you could probably even stretch that to the first half. If anyone was thinking that there was going to be a hangover or um, that chaos was going to spread from off the pitch onto the pitch, then they were, they were really mistaken, weren't they? Yeah, and I think anyone in any doubt as to how Sunderland fans would react to Alex Neal's impending departure were seen to early doors when there was some colourful language used around the description of the Scot. And I think, yeah, Sunderland fans reacted to it in the way that probably the team would have hoped for. Um, they really sort of, it, it galvanised them, as you said, really. And um, the atmosphere was absolutely bouncing at the Stadium of Light. I haven't been there in a good while, so difficult for me to say what it's like every week. But if they're, if they're turning out performances like that every week off the pitch... Then I think it's going to be it's only going to bode well for for those responsible for results on it. And um, you know, credit to to Sunderland where it's due. I thought they whipped up a real atmosphere that actually made it uncomfortable for for Norwich. And um, I'm currently working on a column where I'm discussing the 
the problems with Norwich away from home because I think they have struggled maybe and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's to do with the pressure on them um, compared to obviously at Carrow Road where everybody wants them to succeed and everybody wants them to do well. But each of the away games that Norwich have been part of now have followed a, a similar pattern. They've been under the cosh really and, and subject to quite a significant press and quite a lot of pressure and physicality from the opposition. It's been typical championship away games, um, what we've seen on the road so mm-hmm. far. So it is interesting to see if Norwich can develop out of that and if they can, as they have previously under obviously Daniel Farker, assert themselves almost in the, the home team role um, against against opposition away from home. I think at the moment, if they can manage to grind out results like they did at Sunderland, then you know that's that's all they can do and that's probably going to be enough. But long term, you'd say that's probably not a, a sustainable model to, to go and, and be dominated by teams and somehow come out of it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a, a great look for Norwich, the way that they were perhaps impacted by that atmosphere, but it certainly made things more difficult for them. I thought first half especially, it was almost like the... The Sunderland press was working in unison with the fans and how they were, how they were getting them up for it, um, and it felt like a bit of a cauldron that that Norwich were in. Such was our position in the press box. It didn't really feel like we were part of it. It almost felt like we were slightly above the action and slightly above what the the players had to experience. But from being there, it felt like watching on. Um, you know, the the Norwich players would have heard every word and they really would have experienced that from the 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 Sunderland supporters. So yeah, I thought credit to Norwich for, for coming out of that and managing to hold firm somehow, you know, via crossbar Grant Hanley, as we spoke, spoke about earlier. Um, but yeah, I thought they were really under the cosh from, from that atmosphere. Um, and it will be interesting to see because there's certainly going to be championship atmospheres that are going to be comparable to that in future. It's going to be interesting to see how they're impacted by that. And if they can overcome that and assert themselves, I actually, spoke to a couple of fans before the game um, for our, our social channels and I asked them if it was important that Norwich sort of stamped their authority on the game and, and went on the front foot to make it about them rather than about the circus which they were part of and um, you know those fans seemed to think that it was the case it's what I personally think would have been best for Norwich and they didn't manage to do that and I think you saw the impact but you know such is the championship rather than the Premier League the quality of the players they're up against is probably what let them off the hook at times um, yesterday and I think they probably will manage to get results in those sorts of atmospheres in future but I think um, you know going forward it's going to be important that they get on the ball early quiet and those 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 home fans and um, make it about them a little bit more in future we live Norwich City the builder the passion the drama the last minute winners the debate that's why we've created Pink and Plus. Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think their performance in possession was particularly great yesterday, and and both Dean Smith and Andrew Mamadeli kind of hinted at that. Actually, I think you know we we mentioned the Sunderland press, which I felt was was pretty pretty good, but equally when when Norwich were taking 
quite a few touches, it does make it a lot easier to press. So there's probably an element of one helping helping the other in in that regard. Pad, we, we've got 28 minutes into the pod and we've not mentioned Josh Sargent, who is absolutely on fire. Um, not going to sing the chant, but he he is in in a goal scoring um, point of view. It's it's now what is it four goals for him in in three games. This one actually came after he'd been moved to the right wing, but the the movement for it. I mean, we've mentioned Aaron Ramsey's contribution, and also the the really intelligent build up. Timmy Puki played a really important role, and I thought was was pretty lively actually when he came off the bench on Saturday, but. The movement was was very much typical of a of a centre forward across one of the defenders, getting to the near post or to the to the uh, well uh, into a position where he could then tap it into the net. Actually, and it's those type of goals that, although they're probably not the most uh, watchable in terms of it's not a forty yard screamer, it's not a thumping header, it's it's a tap in from inside the six yard box. Actually, the way it was crafted and the movement was probably as important and as um, or signs of him being a central striker as that finish against Millwall was, or the second one, um, and, and the, the play there. So we're, we're beginning to see all of the elements that perhaps we didn't associate with Josh Sargent last year into this season, which is which is really good to see. But he's a player who is clearly feeding off confidence and uh, and is, well, massively in form. Well, you touch on it there, and we talked about it, about Ramsey, it, confidence, and it's that intangible that must be maddening for coaches because I'm not sure how they actually get that quality. I mean, you can work on all manner of tactical elements and structure and shape and one-to-one coaching. We know Dean Smith and his coaches are very big on that uh, aspect as well, but nothing beats if you're a striker to, 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 to go and score goals and feel that adulation and that love from the terraces. And, um, and that's been fairly elusive for Josh Sargent since he arrived at Norwich uh, up to um, this burst that he's now gone on. And it's really pleasing that he's maintaining it. You know, it wasn't as it was in that Premier League spiral, it was the the, the high point of Watford and, and the brace he got that night. And then, you know, no 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 more goals came for the rest of the season. He's backed it up and he's backed it up again. And and the point that you make, which is the one Smith made, that it was actually when he'd been redeployed or, or repositioned slightly on the right hand side, which hitherto he has struggled to 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 get into goal scoring positions, but. Um, you know the, the finish is routine, but what isn't is that the sense of anticipation that um, he could get himself in that position, uh, in the width of the of the the posts, and that is a striker. That is a, a striker's instinct. And now, the body of work and the and the goals he scored, the range of goals he is showcasing the attributes you would associate with with an actual out and out centre forward who can be a residual goal threat. And um, you referenced Timu Buki. I don't think it's any coincidence that when he went on, he, he looked a bit like a man possessed because he he will see how the wind is blowing and that his hegemony has now been threatened probably for the first time since he, he assumed the mantle from Jordan Rhodes at the start of the first title winning season under Farker. And he needs to up his game. You know, he needs to uh, maybe rediscover that edge that, that hasn't quite been there at the start of the season. And, uh, you know, it, it, in terms of the competition that you've got from front to back, I think that, competition that's now in play at the top end of the pitch. We've not even touched on Adam either. Bar to recognise that he didn't even make the squad yet. He gets an opportunity off the bench against Bournemouth, scores a goal. And um, fundamentally, if you're Dean Smith, you want as many goal-scoring options as, you've, as you as you could find um, to spark each other into really week in, week out. Right, I've got an opportunity today. If I don't you know, score goals, get on the end of chances, then I know there's other options and, and I'll be out the side. So um, it's great that Josh Sargent 
has grasped his opportunity, but it's also I thought it was good to see that Timu, because we know his attitude would be such that he, he wouldn't have the hump. He, he would be of the mind that, right, I need to maybe work harder. I need to show more to, to you know, just keep this youngster uh, uh, at bay. And um, if the byproduct is Norwich scoring goals and winning games, then uh, long may it continue. So, uh, yeah, again, a bit like Ramsey, we won't get carried away and, and suddenly uh, start to portray him as the new Drogba or, or the new, uh, I don't know, Lewandowski. But, uh, but what he is, clearly, is a player at championship level and an ever-expanding sample can score goals. And that's great to see moving forward because, as we've touched on in previous podcasts, his best years are definitely ahead of him. And uh, we know all about the other elements that he brings to the party, his work rate, his endeavour, his selflessness, his athleticism. But if you add goals to that, then you've got a serious player on your hands. And so the ginger Drogba was born. <laughs> what a way to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the championship top goal scoring charts at the moment, Oscar Estepinian of Hull City, uh, right up there, got a hat-trick yesterday. He scored seven goals in six games, which is a remarkable start to, to his championship career. Uh, Colombian striker that, that they managed to sign on a free transfer, I believe. Josh Brownhill and, and Josh Sargent below him um, with with four goals, but actually you, you look at the goals per 90 rates of each of those and Josh Sargent has the best. At the minute, he's averaging a goal per 90 minutes um, from 13 shots. Those four goals have come. Goal conversion rate of 31%, shot accuracy of uh, 54%. So those are, are statistics that if he can maintain, will put him in a very healthy position come May. But it is, as Paddy referenced there, this is at the moment just a decent run of form and he needs to convert a decent run of form into a prolonged um, spell of championship productivity. Uh, and if he can do that, then maybe the conversation will flip as to how Norwich relieve the burden on Timu Puki to how they relieve the uh, goal-scoring burden on Josh Sargent. But from Dean Smith's perspective, certainly not a bad position to be in. Um, what, what, I, what I did want to mention was um, Liam Gibbs. I mean, we, we mentioned him earlier on, Sam. He's been he's been really good, actually, since the start of pre-season, I think. We, we've spoken about him a lot and and probably spoken about him positively a lot as well. It's, um, it's, re- it's really interesting to hear at the moment how how keen he is to distance himself from being an Ipswich fan, whether he is or not, I don't know. But it's it's just interesting that that's the approach he's taken. I don't really see why it's relevant personally, but there you go. Um, it's obviously funny. Um, but he has been so good at, in, in that sixth role and and has kind of been mature beyond his years, I think, with, with a lot of his performances. Obviously, was beginning to really forge a, a role in that team, in, in, in that midfield, and was helping with a balance of it. The injury, which obviously Dean Smith wasn't able to give a, a full assessment on beyond the fact he was in a protective boot and, uh, and on crutches, as is always the case when anyone gets any kind of, of ankle or foot injury or knee injury or, or whatever during a game, but looked to be a, a fairly nasty one from, from replays. Looks like he's rolled his ankle, had to be helped off the pitch by two physios, um, was getting booed by Sunderland fans for some reason. How dare he had the audacity to be injured. Um, but if he is out for any prolonged period of time, and obviously we hope that's not the case, and we'll probably get a better assessment on terms of um, what his injury is and how long he's out for from Dean Smith on uh, a Monday's press conference ahead of the Birmingham game. But it would be a massive blow, not just for him, but also for Norwich City. And that's a testament to the role that he's probably created for himself in the last two months or so. Yeah, I think it's a blow probably to an underrated extent because... The fact that he's come in and done so well has almost felt like a bit of a, a bonus for Norwich. I don't think anybody was counting on him to do so well in that role when they were looking to address that sort of big hole in, in defensive midfield that they had last season. Um, 
but now they're in a situation where probably their only their only three holding defensive midfielders midfielders are all injured. Um, Isaac Hayden looks like he's a decent way from coming back. Um, Jakob Sorensen, as we know, is a, a good way away from returning from injury. And now Liam Gibbs, the way that he limped off so slowly, did worry did worry me personally in terms of how soon we'll see him back. Obviously, I don't want to bring unnecessary doom and gloom before we've had that verdict from from Dean Smith. But I'd say the chances of him featuring on Tuesday are extremely low, and and beyond then it could be even more of a worry because not only is it a blow in that area. The fact that it takes Kenny McLean away from left back almost, you know, almost certainly there's not really any other viable option, and Kenny McLean probably is is guaranteed to start at least until Isaac Hayden returns. You'd think, but the fact that he's going to have to play there means you've only got injury-prone Sam Byram, who you know, let's remember, isn't even a, a career left back. Yes, he's done well in that position before, and he did pretty well um, yesterday, but. You know, he's a right footer. He's typically featured as a right back uh, or on the right side for teams. And he's the only option they have now um, because Kenny McLean can't really go and, and slot in there if he gets injured. Um, you know, the the only option then would be really to have Gabriel Sarra as a, a six. And he looks to me to be somewhere between an eight and a ten, the way that he played against um, Bournemouth in the Cup. So I think the ripples it has are probably as much of an impact as just having Liam Gibbs out of the side, but equally he's been ultra impressive for Norwich. And I think a big part of them turning around their form, um, you know, theme, it was, it was becoming a theme from their opening games was that lack of control in midfield, the amount of space that players had on the edge of the box and the ease with which they were getting almost from the, the halfway line to the edge of the box. I think Gibbs helped, helped ease that. And that's the sort of, solution which it's it's hard to pick out and you don't really remember from watching a game but it's certainly something if you look at the amount of chances they've conceded it's something since Gibbs um got into the team it's something that they've improved on so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they adapt I don't think the signs were particularly good at Sunderland given how easily they found space in and around the Norwich box at times yesterday um but no it doesn't look look good going forward and I think it's probably from a PR standpoint, good news for Norwich that that happened in the middle of a win because I think it would have been seen as a, a major, major blow um, had it come as, as part of a defeat or even a draw. So, um, you know, maybe those those cracks have been papered over a little bit, but it's another yet another dilemma for, for Dean Smith to to look at. And if there's another another injury to add to that that growing list, it feels like Norwich City just can't get away from the curse of, of the injury crisis in the Championship. Um, so we'll see how they, they cope with that. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting task seeing how they get around that for probably at least the, the short to mid-term. Yeah, if I was the left-back or a defensive midfielder playing for Norwich City at the moment, I'd be watching over my shoulder because it seems that seems to be the two positions that are really, uh, really hampered with injuries at the moment. Obviously, Isaac Hayden is still out. We're yet to see him kick a ball in a yellow and green shirt. The, the kind of timeline that Dean Smith presented to us and has presented to us is the end of August. We're now at the end of August. So um, we'll be seeking an update from him in terms of his fitness um, and, and how close he is to it. Of course, given the fact that he basically didn't have a pre-season um, at all, will probably push that back even further than perhaps it would for someone like um, Gabriel Sara, who uh, obviously was was playing as uh, as late as May in the Brazilian season. So 
we'll see how quickly it takes for him to come back. Although it does feel increasingly like um, that number six role with Isaac Hayden in, if he turns out to be the player that perhaps we all hope he he will be, um, that feels like it could maybe, and we spoke about evolution earlier, take Norwich to, to a different level in terms of uh, his attributes coming to the fore as well. Um, should, we, should we talk Milo Rashica then, chaps? Because obviously he didn't make the match day squad. We're obviously recording this with a few days left of the transfer window. There'll be people who, who will be adding two and two and, uh, and making um, and, and making five or, or whatever. Um, what do you what do you make of this pad? The, the fact he wasn't in the match day squad, Dean Smith's comments after the game, he, he obviously didn't want to uh, specifically say that they related to the transfer window, but it does feel increasingly like Milo Rashica isn't in his immediate plans for the here and now for Norwich City's championship promotion quest, which is what this is this season. Absolutely. And while he was quick to dismiss it, following on from what he said on Friday, that there was nothing imminent, I think, was, was the paraphrase on either him or Aaron's. The two you probably reasonably expected once relegation was confirmed, maybe to to be the ones who they'd move on um, to the benefit of all parties. He said on Friday it was not the case and, and was quick post-match Saturday, despite Rashica being set in the stands. Um, albeit their marquee summer signing from the summer before, and he's not good enough to get into a, a championship match day squad, seemingly at the minute. But there, there wasn't a transfer subtext to that. But um, it doesn't it doesn't look good, I think, for Rashica in terms of moving forward in his involvement this season. And and a player there who was very highly rated in the Bundesliga summers before he came to Norwich, but then was brought to Norwich as this is a guy who can help us to do what we need to do in the Premier League. That probably didn't work out for either him or Norwich City. Is he going to be happy sitting on the bench, slashing the stand? I don't think so. So, um, And Norwich don't want an asset purchased it for them. Very great cost, sat in the stand on the bench, depreciating. So I think it's it's really now a case of, is there a viable alternative in what remains of this window? Which, to clarify, if anybody's not sure, is 11pm UK this coming Thursday, September the 1st. So the clock is ticking, but we've all seen and observed from afar enough of these windows that it can be 68 months long and it's seemingly the last 68 hours where things go ballistic and uh, and hitherto scenarios that aren't in play suddenly are in play. So I don't think we definitively are going to say at this stage that Mia Rashica is still a Norwich player come Friday morning. Uh but something will need to materialise to the benefit of all parties. And, and Smith, to be fair to him, on Friday last made it quite clear that it does require a buyer, it does require a seller, it requires agreement between those two, but also, crucially, the player and his representatives. Now, we're talking hypothetically, but if there has been expressions of interest for Rashida and maybe that wasn't to his liking at certain earlier parts of the window, now he, he's looking at the writing on the wall and that not only is he not making the 11, he's not even making the bench, and Dean Smith, I thought, was quite pointed in what he did say. He said that words to the effect that he did OK against Bournemouth in the League Cup, but OK doesn't cut it in terms of getting into his 11 or even his you know, 18 as it is now in the Championship. So that was quite a cutting remark, I felt. And, and it, it indicated that, no, he isn't part of his plans now. And uh, maybe Sonani has bypassed him uh, and one or two others as well who could potentially play those type of roles on the right-hand side. So... While there may be nothing that's of a tangible nature right here as we record this, um, let's see what the next three or four days bring. And, and you know, you could easily conceivably see a, 
a Bundesliga loan with an, a buy option maybe inserted, which gets him out and playing. And a bit like Jolis puts him in a potential shot window, even though they've made it clear with Jolis, they still feel he has a future at Carrow Road. That remains to be seen. But at least if it was a Bundesliga posting and he goes and plays there, then that could maybe develop into, if it wasn't that particular club, some other club taking him. Because it clearly is in nobody's interest for this situation to prolong, which is Mia Rashica not even making Norwich's championship squad um, so if I had a pound and I was going to put it somewhere, I'd say it's probably on a departure. But as we sit here right now, for that to happen, other elements need to fall into place. And to take Smith at his measure from Saturday post-match, that isn't the case yet. So we'll see. But, um, you know, I think that's a clear signal. If, if your manager's leaving you out, not only the 11, but the bench, probably time to look elsewhere, I think. Yes, absolutely. And uh, quite, it feels like an age ago that Norwich City spent a significant amount of money on him uh, ahead of their Premier League campaign and the excitement that was around that. And I wrote this a, a couple of weeks ago. He, he's got a brilliant knack of always feeling like he's going to do something without ever actually doing anything. Um, I did see someone sum it up quite nicely, but it's probably not appropriate for this podcast. So I'll save that move for another day. Um, what what I did also want to want to talk about and and forgive me gents because we we are going off on a bit of a premier league tangent but it but I, i'm going to make it relevant to norwich so, so bear with me obviously yesterday we had liverpool um beating afc bournemouth 9-0 this is the the what the third well fourth time this has ever happened the first time was in 1995 manchester united um beat a certain team from suffolk by that scoreline then happened again in 2019 then 2021, now 2022. That trend is is concerning. It's obviously happened this time against a newly promoted club. And, and the way I was going to make this specific to Norwich is how concerning is that for teams like Norwich who do want to get or have aspirations of getting into the into the Premier League again when the golfing quality is that big? I've, I've watched a bit of Scott Parker's post-match press conference and said he wasn't particularly surprised by the result because of the, the difference in quality. It feels like we're getting to a stage now where, and there was obviously a lot of talk about the Super League and kind of these these clubs wanting to break away and create this this Super League. But in many ways, it, it, it feels like we're hedging in that direction anyway with the Premier League. So how difficult does it make it for teams like AFC Bournemouth, like Norwich City, who are promoted from the Premier League or for, into the Premier League to then compete? Because for all the talk of financial power and and money, which is ultimately where the conversation ends with the Premier League, that's not good, is it, for English football on a competitive basis, certainly in my opinion, at least? No, and, you know, it comes down to what's the aspiration. I mean, yes, Norwich fans would love to have a club that's stable in the Premier League, but any any visions of, of going on and achieving more than that in, you know, the, the mid to longer term, it feels almost impossible at this stage. Um, you know, obviously, as as you said, the amount of Big wins, um, you know, now now accruing is, is quite worrying. Um, there was also a moment in the car yesterday where Crystal Palace were 2-0 up on Manchester City and um, I believe it was you, Connor, that said, oh, well, this will end 5-2. And that, that didn't seem like a, a challenging idea whatsoever. Obviously, Manchester City went on and won 4-2 relatively comfortably. And um, I think that, that that gap, that gulf, is not only sort of disheartening from point of view of, of, of Norwich having to compete with those teams if and when they're next promoted to the Premier League it's it's the idea that it's going to be so difficult for them ever to go on and achieve anything more than that even with talk of potential 
um, investment or transfer of, of shareholdings and Mark Atanasio being involved, somebody who's worth $700 million, I think I think is the, the reported estimate, isn't even really going to be compete, competing with the top half in the Premier League. And um, it, is, it is quite... It feels like uh, the opposite of a meritocratic system in football at the moment, that it's basically whatever club has, has the most money is, is going to achieve more. We've seen Newcastle spend, I think, £63 million on a, a striker in the last few days. And, you know, Norwich aren't getting near being able to, to compete with that. So you can see why it would be disheartening for football fans. Um, and, you know, in a world which is increasingly catering to those top six clubs and de- decreasingly for, for clubs like Norwich it's probably getting harder and less entertaining to be a fan of a club like Norwich. So it's definitely bad news in this part of the world um, that that this golf is getting bigger and bigger. I suppose the challenge is to, to try and, and compete. And that's probably why Norwich have have felt they might need to go and get this investment from someone like Mark Atanasio, because otherwise they've, they've got no chance really. Uh, and that is, that's a sad resignation, but I think it's one that more and more football fans are coming to, unfortunately. So, so for me, from my perspective, it leaves me feeling as a football fan. What, what's the what's the point? What's the point of Norwich City, Bournemouth being in the Premier League when they, when they go and the golf is so big and they, that's not competitive. That's not good for English football. The, the fact that this is happening and it's happening with such regularity, um, it makes me feel as a, as a football fan. You, you know, why why would a team want to go up to the Premier League when that is what they have to face? And, and that is the increasing reality of facing teams like Liverpool, Manchester City. And you can look at it and say, well, that, that's the challenge of, of trying to be in the Premier League and trying to, to bridge that gap. But it's becoming almost impossible now, really, for, for any team to do that. Um, you know, Forrester obviously taking the approach that they're taking. You basically have to spend 100 million quid and you're, you're still not in a position to be competitive. That That, for me, feels a little bit, Broken, Paddy. I don't know about. I don't know about your view on this. Well, I mean, when you see the transfer fees and the salaries that the top clubs now routinely spend, then, then football is broken because uh, that isn't sustainable. It, you know, it's a bubble that for many years was sustained by the broadcast revenue, and now it's increasingly nation states or, or proxies for nation states. If, if, if it requires that level of spend, then it will become a, a very exclusive elite and, and almost some sort of franchise system uh, when, when you might reach the, the point where the NFL is in America, where it, there's essentially no relegation and you just have a, as I'm sure there's elements already in English football, we know with the, uh, the breakaway project that, that fell down through the furious reaction of fan bases from most of those clubs, they were rumored to be involved, but that will come around again and, and again. And, uh, you know, we may eventually get that closed shop, essentially, and I, I, I think it's safe to say Norwich wouldn't be part of that. So then, you know, if you're a football fan, you may have to frame what your ambitions are within whatever structure you're, you're taking part in. But, you know, there are examples. You know, Brighton have done it. Brighton have sustained and established themselves uh, through very astute... OK, they've got a very wealthy owner, but through astute recruitment. Um, and Brentford, in, in more recent times, you know, Brentford have come up with Norwich... Again, they place a huge amount um, of play on the statistical element in terms of their recruitment, very astute recruitment, good coaching, the culture, the philosophy is there. And, OK, it's only one season sample, but they stayed up very comfortably last season and uh, 
you know, I wouldn't back against them doing it again. So there are there are routes to do it, but of course the question is not just staying up, but longevity. And you know, Stoke and Burnley managed it, but eventually uh, slipped down and haven't yet managed to get back. You know, it's very hard for those those clubs, and Norwich are very much in that bracket um, to 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 hope for anything more than maybe a brief sojourn in the Premier League, and that's probably going to become increasingly difficult. Um, to actually sustain it, yes, you can get up as long as the current structure stays in place. But but whether you'll be able to do much more than Norwich and, and seemingly Bournemouth this time around is probably debatable. But it isn't a closed shop. It may feel like that when you see results like that. But there are examples to counter argument that. But they're few and far between. And I think ultimately with Norwich, if we bring it right round, you know they got the recruitment badly wrong this time last summer. Fundamentally. The players they brought in didn't improve the squad who came out of the championship. So I would like to see, before we basically declare that it's null and void and Norwich have no business even trying to get into the Premier League, I'd like to see them have had a proper crack at it because I don't think any Norwich fan would think that was a proper crack last time around. And they spent, relative to Norwich, the sums of money that could have improved that group of players and at the very least would have made them competitive. And then, as Sheffield United proved a few seasons ago, if all the cards fall for ball for you and your key players stay clear of injury, it is plausible, it is possible, it can be done. But clearly you, you need to get what you can control right, and that for me was recruitment. Then you need a huge amount of luck in terms of you know maybe how the fixtures fall, which Norwich and seemingly Bournemouth didn't get the rub of the green at the start of their respective Premier League seasons. But also I think injuries to key players, you know, if you lose as Norwich did, the Pookies and the Tim Krulls at, at key moments and the recruitment didn't improve them, then you've got no chance. So I'm not quite ready to maybe uh, declare it, you know, game over for clubs like Norwich who have aspirations to get into the Premier League. But there's no doubt we're we're on a path and it's it's moving at breakneck speed to a point where it will be very, very soon, I, I fear, um, unsustainable for clubs with Norwich's means, even with injections of cash from potential American impresarios to, to, to compete firstly, but also to sustain themselves in the Premier League. And then I'm sure the debate will then rage, as it always is, as it already is, about, you know, what does that mean for English football and the health of English football? Um, but, you know, you could you could almost argue that the Premier League is increasingly a closed shop anyway, and, and there's still below that, you know, four professional leagues and maybe a fifth if you include the National League, um, given the sums that are sloshing about at that level. So football will continue, but in what form? Um, that to be decided, I think. Yeah, my my theory is that we we're getting to a self super leap by stealth anyway, and, and like you said, I don't think we're we're necessarily there yet. But I don't think we're we're a million miles away from the three teams that come up, go down, spending a hundred million in the process, and then being financially in a, in a very very poor position for for trying to get to the the levels that will be in the Premier League at that point. And it is only heading in one direction, particularly given. The increase in broadcast deals we're seeing money increase rather than decrease you're seeing now clubs in, in mid-table in the premier league who are essentially able to go and buy players of any team who don't play in the champions league because of the financial position of football globally it feels in quite a precarious position but i didn't necessarily want to end this pod on a depressing note but it feels like we've, we've ended up there but 
like you say, Pad, there are routes, there are means of, of doing it. And it's up to Norwich City to try and find a way to bridge that gap. But certainly from from a feeling and, and how personally I feel towards the Premier League at this moment in time, that result probably did little to to help that. Uh, a couple of, of things to mention before we before we exit, Sebastian, uh, before we exit, before we uh, finish the show. Sebastian Soto has exited, which is what I was going to say. I've got my words in the wrong order, um, which is probably unexpected. He's, he's probably in that camp along with Josh Martin, who, who uh, I think Neil Adams and Dean Smith have now confirmed will will be uh, will be departing or hopefully departing as well before the, the the end of the transfer window feels like a little bit of a shame uh certainly in Josh Martin's um area but the fact that Norwich City have been able to presumably get some some money for Sebastian Soto potentially makes that deal worthwhile it was always going to be sort of low risk high reward kind of recruitment that one um but given all of the talk we have about the US of A at the moment it's a little bit of a shame that uh, one has, uh, has slipped through the net so to speak um and also I don't I don't think we covered this on our on our last pod but um shareholders letters have been have dropped in relation to to the Mark Atanasio uh investment uh, you can head to pinkin.com and uh, and read a full explainer on that that I wrote we don't have enough time nor do I anymore have the brain power to go through it so that's that's the best place to go and read um all about that we'll of course um follow it with interest but we're not a million miles away now from that general meeting on the 12th of september so any more developments in that period will of course as we have been at every single stage and will continue to be across uh, across that particular story as well uh, we're off to birmingham of course in midweek the championship relentlessness continues hopefully norwich city can record another win they can maintain what has been um over the last few weeks, certainly a very positive um, period of time in the championship, which I think everyone needed probably given last season and, and the start to this campaign as well. I think we've covered everything. Paddy, Sam, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back next week, of course, to look back on the Birmingham game and uh, your boys, Pad, are coming to town. Coventry City, you looking forward to that one? Not really, given the bottom of the table. So, uh, yeah, I could do with Norwich in the first 60 minutes and Sunderland. Uh, I'm joking, of course. We all want the Norwich win, don't we? <laughs> he shakes his head. Good stuff. Thank you, Pad. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. 